Retro Rebel Gamecast episode 58 is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics for you, the listeners. Retro Rebel is released every Thursday, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can even find us on Facebook at Temple of Geek for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Hello. 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 Welcome. So, how are you? What have you been playing? Uh, I'm fantastic. I have been playing the most fantastic of games, Vampire. Now, I've seen much about this. Tell the listeners a little bit about that game and what it entails and why is it uh, consuming your time. Well, uh, we spoke about, I think, a little bit last week in the, the fact that a brand new release game had a 10-pound difference in price points yes. between the downloadable version and the Amazon Prime version. Uh, So I ended up getting it for, uh, with two-hour same-day delivery, I ended up getting it for eight pounds cheaper than if I had downloaded the same game in the same two-hour window. So let's just talk (laughs) about how that was a thing. Yeah, that's awesome. So it, it ended up being... It ended up being like 30, 39 pounds or something like that. But it was like 48 on the Xbox. So, <laughs> wow. um, so I got it. It is an absolutely fascinating game from a mechanic standpoint. I have never played anything like this. I went into it thinking it was going to kind of be your standard RPG, you know, maybe with some choices about unfolding events being part of the story. It is absolutely not like that at all. Your goal is to be a successful vampire in uh, Spanish flu-riddled Victorian London. So you're a doctor, and your goal is to try to treat this epidemic, be a successful vampire, which does involve eating people, and balance those two things so that you don't plunge districts into chaos with by contributing to the problem. Right, right. Fair. fair this enough. is a game. This is a game. If I if I was going to give it a criticism, it would be that the combat is a bit. It's the least fun part of the game. It's you know like necessary. I I, I feel like they could do less combat because there's. I, I feel like you don't mind it so much when you're doing the combat as part of a quest, but in order to get from one place to another, you have to cross these like contested zones and they're full of bad guys, which I discovered you can run through about 50% of them. But when you get to a gate, you've got to kill the spawns near it in order for the gate to unlock. So that's what I've been doing because I just don't enjoy unnecessary combat. I, I really don't want to have to fight somebody every time I'm going to my next mission. Like right. I'm more interested in yeah, what happens when I get there. That's pushing the story forward. So 
Yeah, so that that would probably be my criticism is that combat is a bit clunky. Seems like there are kind of certain powers and moves and weapons that are probably better, and I am not using those ones because right. I looked at some tool tips afterwards and I built my character the completely opposite way, um, which means that I need to eat more people than someone <laughs> else who had built it more successively because yeah. the whole the whole way to make the game easier is eat more people. But uh. if you eat too many people then the district crumbles and then you don't win or something. It hasn't happened yet, but all of my districts are the one step above critical. They're at serious. (laughs) Uh, They all just stay right there at serious. We're not improving lives here. No. And (laughs) as a a vampire, I imagine that's not your ultimate goal, but. Yeah, but you have like options, and as you learn more about people, you make their blood quality more potent. Potent. So if you were to eat them, you would get more XP from doing it. Right. However, as you learn about them, maybe you don't want to eat them because they're like a single father who. It's a is compassionate a vampire, and you know, yeah. Except I'm not compassionate, and uh, I ate the single parent, <laughs> and I was like, all right. Sorry about your kids. Yeah. <laughs> I did. See, I know. I'm a bad it, person. It's, it's almost <laughs> like it's an experiment taking place in America without vampires and just taking kids away from parents. I don't know. That's just topical humor. Topical um, humor. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's it's just funny that you say that. A, it sounds like the game has has a, an interesting story. It's it's a it's in a historical period. That is not probably as as uh, fleshed out in other games. I mean, this is not a period or a location that you see in gaming very often. Uh, you've got a genre with the vampire, uh, or at least that as a as a theme. It seems very interesting, and I think that there are a lot of games that have interesting stories that also have interesting, uh, I guess, battle mechanics uh, that kind of go hand in hand. But it sounds like in this game, it's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I would say, like, I think the battle mechanics are kind of the weakest part. Like, you run out of stamina really, really quickly, which means a lot of times during fights, you just run out of just everything. And then you're just standing there getting pummeled. Sometimes the guys hit you a lot harder than another one would have because it depends what move they chose. So sometimes if you run out of steam, you're not watching. They're not doing any animations, and you can kind of dodge out of the way really quick. But other times, if that happens, the one guy does his one power move, and you're, like, instantly dead. But you you just respawn automatically. You don't seem like you lose any XP. You'll lose progress from that, like, mission. But yeah. you don't lose any experience. So it's kind of just more of an irritant. But I would say, like, sometimes it is super frustrating when you know that you should have been able to easily beat that, but for whatever reason, you your power was on cooldown and you didn't have enough stamina or you didn't have enough blood. Like, there's a couple different meters that are a bit tricky, and there is no difficulty setting. The only difficulty setting is eating more people. So it's not like... Like, this is probably one of the more challenging games I play, because usually, as you know, I play most games on easy because I'm about quantity of games. Like, I want to get through as many stories as possible. I have a limited amount of time. Like, we're not here for this. Right. And this game is actually hard where you, like, die quite a few times. So I've had to eat way more people than other right. people who are maybe good at dodging or <laughs> the resource management. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not very good at, at that sort of thing. So, um, but so, it, it is very interesting. 
No, well, first of all, I'd like to the disclaimer that we did not we do not here at Retro Rebel advocate the separation of children from their parents, unless of course you're a vampire and you have to eat them. That is the only <laughs> stipulation here, where it is uh, otherwise it's abhorrent. Uh, but uh, with vampires, sometimes you have to eat them. Uh, secondly, well, uh, you know what's funny? Oh, you're gonna go ahead. There was well, I was just gonna say, you know, go ahead, go ahead. What's funny? I was going to say, sometimes you may eat them because they are inconvenient at the time, as I did a couple of times, where there was like, it was like, I didn't realize there was a second part to their mission. And the, it was like, convince this woman to follow you. And she wouldn't give me any dialogue options. I didn't realize that I actually need to like exit the area and come back later. Yeah. So she wouldn't follow me. So I just bloody ate her. So I, ate did, her. I didn't care. Yeah, I <laughs> ate her right there. Right there. Well... Sometimes it's what you have to do. You know, you do what you have to do as a vampire to get by. She and was just standing there like a you idiot. Idiot. Well, then you're just a, you're just a cow to be ready to be eaten. That's what it, how it works. Moo. Moo. The, uh, well, I was going to say, if you could briefly, I don't know if that's possible, uh, to, to condense the, the battle mechanics down, but what would you equate it to? What are the – I have – you know, I, I keep wanting to go look at gameplay footage of it. Uh, I haven't even seen a trailer for it, although I've heard good things about this game. How would you describe the battle mechanics? Um, they are fairly similar to For Honor, if you played that, in that it's the combat is a bit on the slow side. Um, there, you can make use of dodging and stuff like that. You have health potions. You need to like refill your energy meter by you know by it it's hard to it's hard to sum up but i would say it's it's a it's not turn based it is like a live action one so like it but for honor was also a slow combat system where you needed to watch your stamina because you really didn't have that much stamina um that required quite a bit more blocking than this does i think this one has the added element of uh, when you run out of blood, you can't heal. Uh, so you have to, in addition to stamina, which allows you to attack, you need to manage your blood management so that you can heal because you can only carry like three health potions at any one time, which yeah. for big fights is not enough. So you you need to manage that. But combat-wise... I would say, you know, there's a lot of like side dodging. You can lock on to a single target just like you can in For Honor. That's the more the most recent game that's similar battle mechanics right. that I wasn't super keen on, but some people quite liked it. Um, yeah. I would say it's it's also a bit Dark Soulsy okay. for the same reason in that you kind of need to figure out the tactics of the bosses because. Right. If if you haven't managed your resources, you will lose that fight. Like just full <laughs> stop. Like yeah, there's no no chance because they have ultimates and all sorts, you know. So yeah, it's pretty much like every a, boss battle I've ever had in those games is a trial and error. So yeah, yeah, it's like a merging of those two. And sometimes if you mash enough buttons and choke down all your potions, then you might make it through. But then later on in the game, you're gonna feel the repercussions of because you have to craft the potions and they take fairly expensive resources that aren't everywhere. It's not a very resource heavy game. You know what I mean? Like lots right, of, right. it's a lot of management. And I would say the community management thing, the closest to it is actually state of decay. Okay. And I haven't played that, but for those that have played it, that's a good reference. 
Um, yeah, okay. if you played State of Decay, that you're managing that community and making sure that everybody's like happy and well and whatever, and you know that Getting that's essentially vaccine. exactly. And you can benefit the community in a weird way by eating detrimental citizens. Yeah, but that probably doesn't give you as much by eating sick people. No, you do you want to you want to heal them, obviously. But like, let's say they were actually like a bully or a thief or whatever. Yeah, that can have positive repercussions if you you're eat like them. the so vampire Robin Hood. A little bit, but I haven't done that actually. I've oh. only, I, I think my I think my hit rate is like I ate one mentally ill person, one actual. You're murderer. an asshole. You are just and, like <laughs> and and a, and a nice carpenter guy who was just trying to just trying to make his way in the world you're eating single parents and 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 he needed a couple surgery and they were arguing and i just didn't care i was like i don't have time for this i mean not that i'm not immortal and have all the time in the world but i don't have time for this look i'm a new vampire (laughs) i'm just figuring this out okay very fair fair enough um, so that's what I did. What did you play this week? I have been I have been a Blizzard fanboy the last two weeks, really. Uh, I had gotten really heavy into Hearthstone because I've been trying to get see what the actual benefit is of doing all of the monster hunting. And I'm assuming you get those cards, and so by uh, finishing the Time Tinkerer, finally, you get that card. Uh, I remember when you said you were playing it and you were getting all the when you were doing the the quests and i love the quests now too because the quests give you almost every one of them give you almost a hundred coins and you know and dust so and they're pretty easy to get uh so far they've all been pretty easy to get so i've actually knocked out a couple uh quests at a time usually uh just because of how closely linked they are anyway uh i after playing all four of the monster hunters to me the time tinker is one is probably the hardest mechanically but the probably the most powerful, uh, just because there is you have a couple options later on uh, after you win a few battles, you can uh, not only start your turnover, which is helpful if you build your deck around cards that have random, uh, you know that that have that either give you random cards uh, or have some sort of randomized mechanic to them that you can always reverse and try it again. Um, but you can also get a do-over. Basically, where if once you die, it will start the whole game over, and you can just go back through it again. And uh, so it's like, okay, that it gives you kind of a uh, a, a mulligan, and uh, and that was very helpful, especially because there are some bosses or some monsters towards the end that are just almost unfair, especially if you don't have some sort of AOE that clears the board. Um, so I've been yeah. playing that a lot, um, and then I've been I've been getting back into i mean literally everything that has to do with warcraft the last uh, probably two weeks for sure i've done so if it's hearthstone i read before the storm which is the latest novel by christy golden uh which is the preamble if you will or the precursor the pre everything to the next expansion which comes out in august um so i read the book (laughs) i'm in the beta um, I'm trying to get uh, two of my other characters up to 110 so that I can play them, uh, play the new content with four characters at 110. Not that that's bragging, because it's actually just saying how much time I don't have and that I have dedicated the, to this game. Um, 
But fortunately, I've got a Horde and an Alliance character that are max leveled, so that I you know, I only have one of each, so that I can play uh, both sides of the next story. Because the next story is really heavily, uh, I, I guess it's it's angled towards uh, each specific faction. So if you played the game anytime recently, a lot of the material, a lot of the story is based around obviously the Horde and the Alliance trying to get past their differences, work together for a common goal. And that's that's kind of almost every uh, every one of the uh, expansions, uh, maybe ever. You know, this is the first one that's come out where you're actually having to you're getting back to the roots of the game of horde versus alliance, and uh, it's showing it's really difficult not to paint the horde as as the bad guys right now. I'm sure. That they've got some things that they're uh, some of the things I've seen in beta. And in fact, I actually quit playing the beta because I didn't want to know any more of the story. I just wanted to kind of experience it for the first time whenever I get the expansion. Oh yeah, you were saying that with the spoilers. Yeah. It's 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 it almost ruined it for me, and so I actually quit watching the videos, which is completely up to me. I get it. I have complete control over whether or not I watch those videos or play the beta. So I stopped. And I want to be able to enjoy it uh, for the first time whenever it's released. And, and I think that will be much more enjoyable. I'm thankful for all the people that go out there and beta test because they help work the, the bugs out. But I, it's just not for me. I don't have time to do this twice <laughs> to level my character up and then have to go back and do it again. I just don't have time to do that. So anyway, um, so I've got back into there are a few quests that you can do leading up to. Uh, the next expansion, uh, so that that are already in game. There's, you know, they're rolling out some things, and so if you finish the in game content and the the end game content uh, of on Argus, they have some some new quests in Silithus, where Sargeras ow, um, stabbed Azeroth. I feel like I'm just have word salad, and I'm saying words that you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but any of the listeners Someone that are playing, any of, yeah, anybody that's playing uh, Warcraft, you know what I'm talking about. You got a giant sword sticking out of the planet, and uh, the planet's pissed off about it, and uh, and it's hurting. As any planet would. As any planet rightfully would be upset with a giant sword sticking out of it. So um, there were some quests that kind of are, are uh, building up uh, to the expansion, and, and that was pretty cool. It's adding to the story, and so I, I've, I've been completing those. But that's. Most of what I was playing until uh, I did say last week I was going to pick up Detroit uh, Become Human. And uh, I, we will eventually talk about uh, cloud gaming and, and a digital property. I would like to talk about this at one point. At some point. Uh, I went around my the hometown where I'm living and uh, tried to find a copy of that game. I couldn't find a copy to save my life. I, I went to two places, which is two more than I wanted to go to. Uh, but I wanted a hard copy of the game, and I could not find a hard copy. I went online, and it was—it actually kind of bothered me that I ended up getting on place on PS4. It bothered me that when I went to the PS4 store or the shop, that it wasn't at the forefront. You know, it, it was a new release, but it wasn't even at the—it wasn't even like on the front page. Like God of War was on the front page, a couple other games were on the front page. It was actually somewhat difficult to search find and download uh for a brand new for a game that came out like three weeks four weeks ago i thought that was kind of odd um it wasn't in stock at any of the local places i went to gamestop was already closed so i couldn't go there 
Um, so reluctantly, I bought it, uh, the digital version of it, and I downloaded it. Same price, you know, as as the as the basic game. Um, and uh, anyway, so I downloaded it. It is, you know, another David Cage joint. It is very much uh, in that ilk of uh, kind of the point-and-click adventure in a lot of ways. You know, it's mm. that's essentially what it is. It's a it's a glorified souped up on steroids point and click adventure great graphics it's a beautiful game um fantastic graphics you you control three characters um you have a a a woman that you control that is a housekeeper you have a male housekeeper and then you control a police detective all three of them are androids and the premise of the game is you know androids and humans the integration of these two technologies that there's a lot of humans that are that are uh pushing back against this android uh, technology and society, and how do what what happens when androids become sentient, and you know, and so what happens then? <laughs> well, it's funny. I've heard the feedback about this game be like they throw all of the possible android tropes kind of into one game. I think it was Jim Sterling was saying that it kind of felt like a 12 hour long tech demo in the nicest possible way. You know, I would say that's probably, I'm not finished with it. And, uh, you know, I played heavy rain and I really enjoyed heavy rain. I thought that it had a couple twists in the story that were, um, that really caught me off guard. I mean, that made a lasting impact. It was one of those games that when it was over with, it stayed with me. I mean, it stayed with me to this day. I think that was 2011 when that game came out, and to this day, it's one of those games like Silent Hill 2 that, with the ending, it just really stuck with me and made a lasting impact. And I think that's where games have have kind of transferred over and, and are definitively art, where they've you know they're like a good book or a painting or a movie where you at the end of it, it's it's left an impression and and uh, whatever that is. Um, for me, it was just a really powerful story, and I haven't gotten to that point in this game. I'm sure that I'm, I'm approaching it. Uh, one of the things that, and I've mentioned this in another episode, that there is no, there are no game over screens. So there have been a couple times mm. when I thought that I had actually killed the character <laughs> that I was playing, uh, or I'd gotten him killed, and so their story was uh, going to be no more. Um, I'm not sure. You know, it, it. One of the cool things is it shows this, the web. Or the 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 flowchart of your decisions, and that they can branch off into other decisions. It won't tell you what they are. It'll just show you that you could have gone a different direction, and that way you can go right. back and actually play from that point and make a different decision, and open up those branches and see kind of what happens if you if you made a different decision in a different chapter. Um, and sometimes there's a legend down at the bottom, and it shows you sometimes what decisions would have, will have an impact on other storylines. So you may make an impact on the other two characters by making this decision, but if you happen to not unlock that decision or not do that, then you you'll never know if it if it'll have an impact. So it's right. it, I, I I don't a hundred percent agree with Jim Sterling on the tech demo portion of it. I think you have to know what you're getting into. It is a it is a point click action adventure. There are puzzles to fill to to figure out. You can make it much easier. Uh, by 
uh, I, and I'm playing the casual version. There's also an experienced mode where the, the quick time events are a lot more difficult and faster and you have less time to make a decision. Uh, to me, I just really wanted to get the story. And there are still have yeah. been some times that have been challenging um, because it doesn't tell you what buttons they're going to use or what buttons you need to press for the quick time events. It's random. And uh, even though they may not use all four of the buttons or the right one, left one, or, or two, whatever, it gives you... Okay. All right. Just, are you going to be in the neighborhood? No, we're going to drop them off at home. Oh, you're riding all the way. Are you going to stay there or are you coming back? I'm coming back. Okay. All right. <laughs> They're going uh, to ride back to the house. Ah, lovely. And lovely. Um, so, anyway, so, um, what was I saying? You were saying that with the QuickTime events, it's like random which button you need to use. Um, and it, that's harder if you have less time to, to push three, them, obviously. Two, one. Yeah, so they, there, there are quick time events, uh, there are, um, which are pretty much a staple of this genre. Uh, it's, it's not a game that has a lot of action and it. it's not a game that has a lot of, um, in terms of like the mechanics that you, that you are, that you encounter in Vampire or anything like that. You don't have any mechanics that way or, or that are even similar to that at all. Um, so anyway, I think that it's... Uh, that might not be a negative considering I don't think that it is. Telltale is 100% quick time event. It's 100% <laughs> you know? like a Telltale game. I mean, and, and I think that, that David Cage did it before Telltale did, you know. So... Shots um, fired. Well, I mean, but I like how Telltale has taken it to the next level. I mean, they've been able to, they've done it in multiple stories across different genres in terms of like fantasy, sci-fi. They've taken other games like Borderlands and fleshed out that story because I honestly didn't know Borderlands had that much of a story until I played the Telltale game. Neither did I. So uh, there's just a whole lot more to it. So I think that Telltale does it very well. This is this has the rims and the nice paint job and everything else on it. I mean, this is a very very well polished, <laughs> fully fleshed out tech demo action uh, point and click adventure ish game. I really enjoy it so far. Um, like I said, it and, and my like favorite. My alley. I, I think you it. would like it. I, I really think. do think that you would like it. I think it's on Xbox and. PlayStation, but I don't know for sure. Um, I I wanted it on the PlayStation because my son plays Fortnite on the Xbox, and so I know I'm not going to get to play it there. Might as well just put it on the PlayStation. But it'd be worth checking out to see if it's on the <laughs> Xbox because uh, it is a, it is a good game and um, and I, I yeah. do recommend it. And so far, of the three characters, actually my favorite character. I don't think this is the most popular choice. But it may be. My favorite character is the cop. Right. And um, I really won't qualify it too much more than that. I just feel like he's the he seems to be to me the the character the player's character, the one that you're supposed to see the world through. You know. Right. And, and I feel like you relate to his journey the easiest. The other two right. characters have very specific agendas. That are that aren't they're not thrust upon them in that, uh, but they they have um, 
there are some very specific and severe things that they have to experience. Um, and you have choices throughout those experiences that kind of shape your, you know, the overall story arc. Um, but because of that, it's like I, I definitely am playing those characters the way I think that they would be played. And I make decisions based on that. That's how I've always played RPGs. But I think that uh, the cop seems to be the one that is, is going through this journey trying to figure things out and, and seems to be the one I relate to the most. Um, anyway, so it's a good game. I think I, I recommend it. I'm not finished with it yet, but uh, you know the four or five hours I've put into it so far, I feel has uh, been time well spent. Boom. Boom. So that brings us to game news. And you said that you had a little bit of news and that it may be the same, so we will definitely let you go first so I can uh, scramble for something new. Yay. Well, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that your son plays Fortnite on the Xbox. Which is an excellent decision, considering the latest controversy with PlayStation. Oh, yeah. That's true. So, you know, I don't think we need to dwell on it, because obviously everybody's talked about it. But, you know, I just feel like it's worth putting our two cents in there. That right. it is absolutely unacceptable that accessing a third-party application through a console would essentially region lock it to that console. That's right. the most preposterous thing I've ever heard of. Imagine if they did that if you uh, accessed your YouTube account through their console. I don't think that should be allowed because then you're going to run into serious ramifications with other devices. If you linked your Facebook to your PlayStation and they lock it to that as well. Like, they shouldn't be allowed to do that. I think somebody needs to step in and say, you can't do that. Like, it's not, right, it's not your right. software. And I think Epic Games isn't being given enough of the responsibility as well. They shouldn't have let PlayStation do that because, you know, it's a bad user experience. And they did. They obviously have some agency and would have been aware of that um, yeah. and should have let people know or refuse to allow that to be the case. Um, because it just sets a dangerous precedence that if you access something on your cell phone, for example, that then you can't use it on your console or your PC. It just, that's not the kind of world that I think we should move towards. So that's, that's news story. Number one, I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I, I am absolutely in agreement that I think this is ridiculous. PlayStation is putting themselves on an Island. I think they made a bad choice. I, I honestly, you know, exclusives is something that I think we've, touched on but i think could be its own topic um fortnite is is absolutely not an exclusive and what it's what it is in effect doing is potentially um i think it's probably making one of the smartest decisions game a game has made maybe since uh, something like skyrim who took seven years to get onto every platform um but they're they're also going to the the uh, Nintendo Switch, so Nintendo Switch is going to have it. You're going to be able to play across platforms from everything except for PlayStation. So PlayStation's putting themselves on an island. I think that they are making a bad decision, regardless of the fact that they kind of have the largest market share in consoles right now. Um, I don't think that they did themselves any favors by. Uh, I guess by limiting themselves in this respect, especially as popular as Fortnite is. And that's the only reason I think that PlayStation and Epic may have had this agreement is because perhaps Epic didn't realize how big it was going to get. I don't know that anybody did. 
realized that it was going to be as big as it was, and so somewhere in the legal language, uh, there was there's a stipulation. You know, I, that's the only thing I can think of because to agree to that, I guess it's no skin off Fortnite's back. It just hurts PlayStation. I guess. Well, I mean, technically, well, it's consumer confidence. I think the idea that you agree to give your data to a third party and don't expect that the console manufacturer will have some sort of claim over that arrangement. I mean, I think there's like a breach of trust there where you would, you would expect that making an arrangement with one company doesn't preclude you from making it with another one. Right. Uh, No, that's true. You know, that, that would essentially be like saying if you buy a PlayStation, you're not allowed to buy an Xbox. You know, that's basically what they're saying is that if you chose to play this game on a PlayStation, screw you if you want to buy and play it on other stuff. Like, it's yeah. just not going to happen. Which sucks because, especially because it's a free-to-play model, it means that in order to... Your progress is directly linked to how much money and time you've spent, which is all tracked on the account. So the fact that you can't port the account means that, you know, they've essentially got a monopoly on your time and money, which True. is. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like you said, I think that 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 mm. would uh, that would cause a, a, you know, a trust issue, I think, with PlayStation. I, I can tell you that it, we have it. We pretty much have it on everything except for mobile. And uh, I wouldn't play it. I mean, it's downloaded on the PlayStation, and we don't play it on the PlayStation. And I wouldn't let my son play it on the PlayStation um, for a number of reasons. But one of them because there's no point. The only because the only person he could play with are other friends that have PlayStations. Uh, and that's you know I don't know. I, I I don't see the benefit from Epic's standpoint, and I don't see it being an intelligent decision on PlayStations. You know just selfish it's about money and i think they came down they came out and said that that it ended up being about money which sucks for the consumer and uh and i think in the end will negatively impact playstation maybe not much but i think it will um for me my news uh i guess that's that's uh one of the things I was going to say is Fortnite's coming out on on uh, Nintendo, and so I may actually break out and start playing Fortnite. Um, I don't play on the computer as much, but I do play my uh, my Switch on occasion, just because most of the time the other TVs are taken by the kids or somebody, uh, or I have to be mobile. And so if I can actually take the the Switch and be moving around, feeding the baby, doing something, it may, it's why I play Hearthstone so much because I can actually take my phone. And play Hearthstone in between, you know, whatever it is that I'm having to do uh, around the house. And so that, yeah. that kind of makes it a little easier for me. Um, yeah, look, it, I think it makes sense. I think people should be able to be as portable as they like. If, if you can buy every console in the market, then you should be able to play on what you own. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a good way to look at it. I don't know that... It, that I think that we're moving that direction. I think there's definitely going to be pushback and resistance, but I think we're moving in, in that direction, especially with digital property and cloud gaming and all of this that's that's going on um, in that direction, moving in that direction. I think that's... Um, speaking of, though, I know GameStop has been looking at, uh, and this is some of the news that I was looking at, 
GameStop is looking at a, a third-party buyer, and one of the main purposes of looking for this buyer is for the digital property. Right. Yeah, and so the idea that, that they're they're trying to create a marketplace to, to resell digi digital games. And so um, I would like to do a topic on this in the future, but what are your thoughts? Like, do you think that uh, being able to resell digital property will ever be a thing? And, and do you think that's a, it's, that is the direction that we should go? Yeah, I 100% think so. If... If digital items have no resale value, then they're automatically less valuable than their like-minded physical counterpart. You know, right. and I this is I think this about all sorts of uh, digital-only media, like my rock band collection of songs. I right. wish that I could sell that thousand dollars worth of songs because I'm not using them anymore, and I you know I, I don't think I'm going to play ever again. But if I could get 25 cents for it, at least I got the enjoyment out of it and it's not cluttering my hard drive. Right. You know, like I think those sort of things are things that we need to take in consideration because the fact of the matter is not only can you actually get physical discs cheaper than the digital version, at least in this country, but I can when I'm done with this game, I can take it down to game and sell it for some money back. Like yeah. I couldn't do that with a digital version. So yeah, I think, I think it needs to go that way for a storage, like for storage level, um, reasons, but also because of, um, the nature of commodities. So I feel like the downside of digital distribution is that they never stop making the copy of the game to a certain extent, but they do stop carrying it in the store. So if we move completely to digital, if you wanted to play the original Dark Souls, for example, and it's not in the Xbox store anymore, then how will you play it Right. if there are no physical copies? So I think it's super important to have, you know, there, it's fine if there's a limited supply, but you would be able to get it on a reselling market and buy someone's code to it. And I think right. there are ways to easily do this, you know, where you could sell your essential your right to the copy if every game has a unique code that right. can only be accessed by uh, one console at a time then you could transfer and sell that code to whoever you wanted you know yeah. the, the chances of people abusing it would be incredibly difficult also everything that happens digitally is trackable so if you saw that somebody was constantly moving a game from a console they own to a stranger's console to a console they own, you know, then you would know that they were sharing it. You know what I mean? Not right. actually selling it. Whereas if you sold it to a stranger, then you would never recover that same code again. It would be, yeah. it'd be quite obvious to track. So yeah, no, I think long story, incredibly short. Although I feel like we're sort of already doing the topic you wanted to well, do. Well, I thought it was a baby, well. baby topic. Yeah. So maybe that's how it'll end up being. I agree with you. I think that there's a lot more to talk about and flesh this out, so we'll definitely do another topic on it. I just I wonder how it's going to be possible because I feel like it should be. I agree with all of your points that you know what it's it's going to lessen the value if you can't resell it, and the purpose of it ultimately is not to resell it. To me, 
in the end, the the if you boil it down to the the baseline facts, to be able to access it and play it whenever I want forever. Because if I can't do that, then do I even truly own it, or am I just renting it for an undisclosed period of time? Essentially, it's like I'm paying for the rights to it until you know we no longer you know. And I think that that should be written. And otherwise, you should be able to sue the company and say, I want a hard copy of this if you're not going to. If you're not going to continue maintaining the servers and keeping this on some sort of cloud, then I need to be able to access this anytime I want to, or do I truly own it? Uh, you know. Anyway, so I think that there's some some ethical and philosophical questions that could yeah. probably be answered. Uh, I think that we're in you know with technology evolving so quickly um, daily. That I think these are questions that that will be answered uh, hopefully sooner than later, but I don't think the answer is easy um, because of that. No. I mean, I think you should be able to let somebody borrow. I can let somebody borrow pretty much every any game I have for every console before the Xbox 360 or up to the Xbox 360 because I only really have hard copies of all of those games. I can let anybody borrow any of those games, but I can't yeah. let anybody borrow my copy of Detroit or I can't let anybody because it's on my console. And, you know, and you can only access it from that point. And, and I think that there, I don't think that that ever hurt games in the past. You know, I mean, if you were going to buy it, you were going to buy it. You know, I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, if you wanted to play with your friends and they don't get their own copy, then how are you ever going to be able to do that in the first absolutely, place? So I, absolutely. I don't think that's like the thing. I think the question is here is that. When it comes to something that is live services, as Jim yeah. Sterling likes to say, yeah. like you will never own even the hard copy forever. And I, I think the easiest way to nail this point home is is that in 2000 and I think 14 or 2012, when City of Heroes stopped running its servers. Every single person who had ever purchased a copy of City of Heroes ceased to be an owner of City of Heroes because right. the game is not accessible. Right. So yeah. everything that's live services based, yeah, even if they keep the servers on, if the population dwindles to a certain point where you cannot create a match in four years time, two years time, one year's time, whenever people get bored of Fortnite yeah. and you can't get a hundred people in a match, the game's done. Right. And then everybody bought everything. It is suddenly absolutely useless. So right. that is the most, I think, finite part of things. That is the difference between a story-driven RPG that is single-player and live services. Because live services, they actually are never yours. Because right. there is it's a temporary. definite point in time By where it will almost. cease to be functional. Yeah. Yeah. When it's not live anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I think that's one reason why, and I hope, you know, I, I wish that it would have gotten better coverage and support, but the Star Wars The Old Republic uh, MMO, I still log in from time to time. I don't have to have anybody else to play that game. You do have to have other people to actually go in and uh, and, and do the, the, the raids or do some of the dungeons, but you don't have to have anybody to do your questing. Much like World of Warcraft, uh, there's tons of stuff you can do without having any actual people in there. Um, even more so in the Old Republic. Unfortunately, it makes the world feel very dead when when nobody else is logged in. Though, I mean, you can just tell how how big 
the world was and it was created to as a habitat for all these people that were a hub to come in and out but if people are not logging in you can just see how empty it is and you feel it it's almost like you can hear the tumbleweeds and the crickets and everything else in the background but anyway that's that's a that's a topic we'll flesh out later on but i did want to get your thoughts on that because it's coming i just i don't know what the answer is going to be for that but i think that that uh that particular challenge is definitely approaching um all right so to our main topic about remasters and re-releases uh we uh e3 is just passed and and there's so much that we could unpack from that but one of the things that was announced is a resident evil 2 remaster i'm assuming it's remastered or re-released or both uh it's definitely being re-released uh but it's uh but it's being remastered new graphics much like uh, what they did with the original Re- Resident Evil that came out on GameCube, which actually was fantastic. I did buy it, and I did buy it so that I could watch my friend play it because it was terrifying. Um, but uh, had a lot of fun with that game, and it, and it was so much better than the original. The original was almost terrifying because the controls were so terrible. This one was actually <laughs> terrifying, like legitimately uh, scary. And, and so... Um, I don't know. So, so your thoughts? What? So, what are you? What are your initial thoughts here about re-releases and remasters? Well, I think it's important to separate the two. So, as I would define it, a re-release is the same actual original game with no fundamental graphical or operating changes, released onto a different platform maybe a couple years later. So the best example of this I can think of is how Skyrim has been ported to every bloody console that exists. Yeah, that is a straight-up re-release where they, you know, and they charge full price for it every time around that it comes to a new platform, no matter how many years on it is. And as far as I know, there's been no real graphical changes in most of the instances. I think think the most recent one with the Switch, there was a slight improvement but you know generally speaking that's what i mean by a re-release a remaster is like the new dark souls where or the halo master chief collection where they've taken the original game and brought the graphics and engine and whatever kind of up to speed but there's no real story changes or elaborative content or anything like that so i would say it depends. Um, <laughs> I for a re-release, I think it depends on the amount of time that has passed. I disagree with a you know multi-year gap between bringing something from one console to the other. I think that's unfair to people who own the other console variants or whatever, and lazy if it's a new console. So, like, with the Switch, for example, you know, some things have just been ported over with no graphical changes or whatever. They've just literally been brought to that console. But that console is two years newer than the first time it was released or three years newer or ten years newer than the first time it was released. So, it's like, are you actually getting a good experience worthy of a brand new console? You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. And, and then getting charged full price for the privilege. Mm. However, if something is uh, released because, let's say, it was one of those situations where 
they're at the tail end of a life cycle. So, like, the games that were released on the 360, the few months before the Xbox One came out, a lot of those did get an Xbox One version, uh, like a re-release onto the Xbox One. And that's more they were unlucky. You know what I mean? Like right. they and and they, you know, were they they were too new to justify a remaster, but too old to actually play on the new hardware. So I I would say that's probably I think fine. Now remastered editions I am very much on the fence of because I actually own a couple of remasters. You know, I've got the Master Chief Collection. I think I've got the Witcher Ultimate or something like that, um, which is not a remaster, but it's like a repackaging with all the DLC. So it's close. Um, <laughs> you know, but it was still full price, by the way. Like, you know what I mean? You didn't save any money yeah. there. Right, right. Um, so I would say that I find, at least they put a bit of effort into it. However... Unless it's a game that I really, 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 really liked, I couldn't see shelling out essentially 50% of the original purchase price on the same game again, just for it to look nicer. And they didn't actually make any substantive changes or, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't enhance the experience much. It just is prettier. Um, Because I think if it's a good game... Or a mediocre game, it doesn't like you don't remember how good the graphics look. Generally speaking, like they're kind of, uh, unless they're bad, like Andromeda, you, you. I mean, tell me what you remember about right. graphics. Any game, I, I, I think there are a couple instances like when I first loaded up Skyrim and you go down that path and you're like on the mountain and you see everything for the first time. I remember yeah. seeing that and being like, whoa, yeah. you know, like like whoa this is a this is a bloody big game but they couldn't do much to change that because it was more that was one of the first games that was that big like and rendered in full clarity that big um so remastering it i I mean now we're all kind of used to it i think it'd have to be like a variation on that theme i don't know what are your thoughts so so remastered versus re-release right and what do you think? I, I, you know, I guess the there is no short answer. I would say also, it depends. And what it depends on is, let's say, start with re-releases. So if you were re-releasing a game onto another platform, I think, like you said, The Last of Us came out right at the end of the PS3 cycle, right when the PS4 was about to come out. So they re-released. In fact, they packaged, which I thought was pretty awesome, they packaged The Last of Us with the new ps4s so they they remastered it i guess in a way i think it was uh upgraded 10 1080p whatever for the for the ps4 uh they would they gave you though a a digital copy of the last of us when you bought your ps4 at least i have one it was the one i was totally going to give you if you had a ps4 uh because i did want you to be able to play it um so, you know, in something like that where it's at the end of the cycle and you may not be able to afford a PS3 and a PS4, maybe you bought one or the other, re-releasing that on the next platform, I think, is fine. I think it's even fine, especially as close as those were together, re-releasing them for the same price. 
I think that there's a time limit though, and I don't know what that time limit is, but there's a time limit that you should that that you should kind of adhere to that limits your ability to I mean you can charge full price, but I think ethically and I think uh I think that the the general consensus should look at it and frown upon charging full price for a game that's been out for two years and and put that and you re-release it onto a different platform and then charge full price especially when a lot of times at that point after two years you're releasing games like knights of the old republic uh when it became whatever the the silver edition or what you know it it was one of their all-time greatest selling games then they sold it for 20 bucks you know, it was sold hard copy, twenty bucks in the store, and that was maybe a few years after it had, you know, been released. I think that, you know, after there's, I don't know what that that statute of limitations would be, but after a certain period of time, that no matter when you release it, it should be, uh, you know, at a reduced price. And I think that's the only issue I have with re-releases uh, is the price point. I don't think that at any point they should be the same price as they were when they were originally released. Uh, in terms of remasters. Uh, I think that remasters have been done well, and I think remasters have uh, been done poorly. And the good ones, like Resident Evil 1, Resident Evil 2 that they're remastering, um, were done well. They, they redid the graphics, they've added some scenes, they've, uh, they, they fleshed out the characters, they did new voice acting. I mean, every, pretty much the game was redone. And I think in that instance, I'm not saying you charge a full 60 bucks for that game... Uh, but I think that you could, you know, remake that game, remaster it, and then and send it out for a premium price based on the product. So $40 or, you know, 28 pounds or whatever it would be uh, there in England. Um, it wouldn't be the full price of a game, but I think that you could charge a premium price, whatever that is for that product. Um, but if you if you are just remastering something that was only recently released... And you're going to charge full price for the game? Then I, I don't. I mean, I absolutely don't agree with that either. I don't think you should. I don't think any of you out there, if you've already played Demon Souls, that you should buy the new Demon Souls. I don't think that you should uh, waste your money on that. I, but again, the people that are usually going to buy that are are probably the hardcore fans. Um, I think that you know, if they want to, it's kind of like me. I've got pretty much every version of the star wars trilogies in every version format known to man like the, everyone that you can buy i have so <laughs> i have it on vhs yeah. well, i, get it. I just know. feel like if you can get if you could get the most recent game in the series like we were talking about this with dark souls right you can buy dark souls 3 which i think is the most recent one that just came out on xbox one for like 14 pounds uk right but you cannot buy the new remastered Dark Souls 1 for less yeah. than 28 pounds. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but, like, I'm going to wait and get a used copy of the remastered version in, like, three weeks' time. Why would I pay full price when I can play the most recent game for half the cost? It's crazy. Unless it's only sold digitally. Well, you know. <laughs> oh, we've come full circle. <laughs> we have come full circle. Well, my... So I, I don't think I I don't think we can say any more than that. I think you're right that it depends. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts on that? I think that final thoughts, especially on re-releases and remasters, I think it's use your. 
I would just say use your best judgment. If you think, if if you're going out to purchase one because you're a collector, because it, you want to add it to your your game collection, uh, or you just want the new experience because you're a fan, that's great. If you've never played it, you know, uh, and you want to see the 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 best possible version of it. Uh, then I might consider buying this at a premium price. I would say my recommendation for anybody, though, that is okay with not seeing the new graphics, especially considering there's no added gameplay features or mechanics. It's the same game, just with a new paint job on it. I would say wait for a, a used copy and, and, and go that route. Uh, re-releases, again, if I, I am for them, especially for people who maybe only have one console. I'm very fortunate to have all of them and so I, I could get it on any of those formats but if I only had one then man yeah that's where the exclusive thing kind of bites some people uh, and 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 kind of they get screwed because they are not able to access some of these games that are that end up being re-released on other consoles so I'm, I'm completely for them I'm just not for them being released at full price especially if that time if so much time has passed that uh, it just doesn't seem like they merit that much uh, or that price. So I do it at your own risk. <laughs> yep. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templeofgeek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or just reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and please subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released. And rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.